All right. How are we doing? Good? You having a good weekend? I'm having a great weekend. All right. See, you won. Kentucky won. Jesus is on the throne. It's obvious. You know, and uh, Broncos are going to win today. Rockies are in first place. It's just good. It's just Here, I'll tell you my favorite part of the weekend, though. So I remember a few months ago, I told you that, um, hey, this is the last service world, so I'm going to go long. We'll we'll be there for kickoff. All right, it'll be all right. So so a few months ago, I told you this, is that I did one of those DNA tests, and I found out I'm 17% Scottish, so I bought bagpipes and four kilts. It's awesome, okay? Um, But this past Friday, up in Estes Park, they had the Scottish Festival. Have you all ever been there? It's like a thousand minute kilts, all right? It's so good. And, and, and so I went up there with two of my buddies and we're walking around. People kept taking our pictures because we have set a new fashion trend. It's cowboy hats and kilts and boots. It's amazing. <laughs> we're going to be in a paper in a good way. I was going to show you a picture, but there's that part of the Sermon on the Mount about, you know, if you're lust and you have to gouge out your eye and stuff like that. And that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Especially you people down here. If I would have worn a kilt today, you would have like stumbled. I'm probably, uh, it would have been bad or good. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to give a mood, though. I'm going to give a Hey, so, so just write Zach or somebody else. Don't, don't email me. So last week, um, we started this journey, uh, and I use that word on purpose, journey through this thing called a Sermon on the Mount. And I, I believe this is that, that, that if this has the potential to change us as we unpack these words from Jesus individually and as a church, all right? And, and here's how I started last week. And if you, again, you weren't here last week, I, I, it's just like one of the best weekends we've ever had at Flatirons, the music right in the middle of my talk. Let me just tell you, if you have to leave early, don't, because right in the middle of this talk, there's, a, there's another song that's gonna just melt your face off for the Lord. Anyway, but, um, but um, I started by saying this last week, is that um, it's kind of scary to, to launch this series or really a series of series based on what I think are, or at least they're my three favorite chapters of the whole Bible. And so it was really hard to, to launch something that big. And I thought after I get one under my belt, it'd be easier, but it's not. I'm still, I'm still overwhelmed today. And here's why. It's because, and it's your fault. Um, so a bunch of you <laughs> emailed me this week, and you were trying to be encouraging. I got a bunch of emails going, Jim, that was the best talk you've ever given. And why didn't you stop there? But you didn't. Followed by this. How are you going to top that? That's pressure. And I can't top it. Let me tell you why I can't top it. Because last week, I'm going to be honest with you, I I just plagiarized Jesus. I totally ripped him off word for word. How can you do better than that? I can't. I actually voted that we just close the church. We can't go any better than last week. (laughs) It's just going to be downhill. But we're not going. We're going to keep going. But uh, pressure is not the right word. I I guess the word would be, I, I feel the weight the weight of what we're attempting, because I really believe that, that if we take these amazing teachings from Jesus, right, they have the ability to change us if, and that's a big word, if, not just we say we believe them and nod our heads and go, yes, amen, whatever that is, all right, but if we were to actually take these teachings from Jesus, get up out of these rooms or wherever you're watching around the world, right, get up, walk out the door and actually say, I'm going to put those words into practice in my real life, which again, I'll just be honest with you, is going to feel overwhelming, like impossible, because here's what's going to happen in the next 35, 40 minutes, all right? Is that, is that I'm going to throw out some examples, but you're not going to go to that example. I believe, and this is going to sound weird to some of us, but I believe the Holy Spirit is going to bring up some part of your life and go, Jesus is talking about that for you. It's not going to be hypothetical. There's going to be something really like concrete. You're going to go in, I know, God, what you're talking about in my life. You want me to change 
that. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel impossible. And let me just say this. When, when, I, when I say or when I quote Jesus as saying, hey, I, I want to change you or hey, he wants to change us, let me tell you what that means and doesn't mean. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is not going to give us like a, a new set of uh, things to do better than we currently are, right? Or, or things you have to do different. Or here's a whole list of rules and regulations on top of the Ten Commandments and all the other stuff that you memorize that you're not doing. Or, or how about this? Jesus is not, says this over and over. I didn't come to give you more religious information, more spiritual data, whatever that is, so you can add that to the pile of spiritual religious information that you're not already using. It's not more of the same. The, the, the goal of this series, or, or really everything that Jesus said, was basically this. He wants to teach us to think different. He wants us to think different. And the Bible word for that would be repent, all right? And, and repent simply means this. Just rethink how we think about, about everything. And again, we're going to think about some part of our life. And Jesus is going to say, listen, in light of, uh, of what, you know, the times are changing, you might want to rethink that. Because if you rethink that, that will change us. As a matter of fact, the level of change necessary and needed in the part of our life that we're thinking about right now, but, but especially like how we think about God or how we see the person looking back at us in the mirror or how we interact with people like that or something like that, the amount of change that needs to take place in our life, the only way any of that is even possible to change is if what Jesus says is true actually is true. As a matter of fact, the only reason you should even consider rethinking that part of your life is in light of this, this promise from Jesus. And here's what his promise is. It says this. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, or in other places it's called the kingdom of God, and that's really, really important. We'll unpack that in a minute. The kingdom of heaven is now at hand. The kingdom of heaven has been around since the beginning of time, but the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. It didn't used to be, but Jesus changes it. It's, it's near like, like right here, and it's available to everybody who, who, who will trust him. So what he's saying is, hey, this kingdom's available to you. You might want to put your life in it. Why? Because outside of the kingdom, not much is possible. Not much change is possible. But inside the kingdom, a guy named Paul says it this way later, all things are possible. Not outside, inside the kingdom. Outside, uh, if you're living your life, outside of the kingdom, certain things happen in your life or you make mistakes or other people do stuff to you. It always means the same thing outside the kingdom. Inside the kingdom, those same things now can take on a whole new meaning, a whole new definition, and they actually open up different possibilities inside the kingdom. Outside the kingdom, um, you're basically on your own. Good luck, figure it out. Let me, let me talk to the men for a second. All right, but, and I'm sure there's a woman's version of this, but um, are the biggest question that men have going on in their mind is, am I enough? Right? Am I enough for my dad? Am I enough for my, for, for my wife? Am I enough for my kids? Am I enough as a man? Am I enough for my own heart? Am I enough? Am I, whatever that is. Am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Whatever that is. And, and here in our world, you just got to figure it out. And I, ladies, there's a, there's a version of that for you. Am I enough? Am I worthy enough? Am I fill in the blank enough. Well, outside the kingdom, good luck. Inside the kingdom, Jesus goes, let me tell you what good actually means. And let me tell you where it comes from. And then let me tell you what it looks like for you to live goodness out in your everyday, even the parts of your life that feel impossible in that kind of life. And it's not going to happen overnight. Nobody's going to be changed and be like Jesus by Tuesday. It's just not real. It's just not going to happen. It's going to take some time, and it's going to take some practice and some training. But, but here's the promise, if you're willing to just consider this and maybe rethink some parts of your life. Jesus says this, inside of the kingdom, 
You have the promise from Jesus, not flat irons, not Jim. You have the promise from Jesus that you can become the kind of person. We're not talking about acting different. We're not talking about trying to be better. We're, trying about, we're talking about being a, coming, a different kind of person. What kind of person? A kind of person who can build, right, and live the kind of life that will stand up no matter what storm hits it. Anybody ever had a storm hit their life? And it had a problem hit their life, and you thought, I'll be fine, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. And you weren't. You weren't ready for it. That's because a lot of us have tried to weather storms on our own outside the kingdom, and it just falls apart over and over and over. And so just, just so we're all on the same page, because we come from different backgrounds, a lot of religion, uh, no religion, bad religion, whatever that, some of good, good religion, all right? But, so we're all on the same page. Whenever Jesus mentions the word Kingdom or kingdom of, of heaven, okay? Kingdom or kingdom of heaven. And actually it translates kingdom of the heavens. Um, and here's why that's important. Because whenever most of us think of the word heaven, here's what we jump to. You mean that place I go to later after I die someplace else? Anybody else raised that way? I, this, I was raised, whenever somebody said heaven, I thought, oh, you mean like, and here's what came to mind. I, I, was, I went to Disney World in Florida. So there's a, there's a Disney castle in outer space and Jesus lives there. And after my funeral, that's where I go. That I really thought that, that's not Jesus is talking about at all. When he says heaven or heavens, he's not talking about somewhere else. He's talking about everything around you. You're surrounded by it right now. And so when he says the kingdom of heaven, what he's talking about is this, is that any place where what God wants done is actually done. That's the kingdom. Not someplace in outer space. Not someplace out after you die. This life. God, what you want done in, in my life as it is in the heavens. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer all the time. I want what you want done, done in my marriage, in my addiction, in my family, in my career, in my health, with my kids, with my husband, with my girlfriend, whatever that is, I, I, I want to put that in the kingdom so that what you want done in that part of my life is actually done. And he's, he's referring to this invitation that it's now at hand. It's, a, it's, it's available you can live your life. I love this phrase, all right? You can live your life not on your own, but a with God kind of life. Isn't that great? A, a, a with God kind of, kind of life. You can get out of bed every day, not by yourself anymore, and you can look at whatever's in front of you, and here's our, here's our new kind of perspective, all right? Because we've rethought it. Hey, God, what are you and I going to do about that today together? What are you and I going to do about my marriage together? Because, you know, I'm not going to sit on the couch and go, hey, God, fix her. Fix my marriage. He's in, no. And he's not going to you know, stand off to the side and go, hey, Jim, good luck. You're on your own on that. It's both. Hey, God, what are you and I going to do about my addiction today together? Because on my own, I just can't do it. It wins every time. Hey, God, what are you and I going to do about depression? Hey, God, what are you and I going to do about this part of my life that's just out of control? He doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't do it for us. But we can actually live our life with God, that kind of life, starting now. So we have this weird version of heaven in our head. We also have this weird version whenever we've heard, if you've grown up in church at all, um, th this phrase, eternal life. Eternal life. And whenever we hear eternal life, again, here's what we immediately jump to. You mean, so I believe Jesus died for my sins, so I'm forgiven, so after I die, I go to heaven instead of hell. Eternal life, right? And it certainly includes that. But when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not talking about after your funeral. He's talking from this point forward. You're living eternal life now. Do you understand that? It's not something that's going to happen later. You are living eternal life now. So Jesus defined eternal life as this. It's just this journey of knowing the one true God 
and knowing Jesus Christ, whom the one true God has, has sent. And this, this journey of getting to know God, the, the true God, the true Jesus, and what he's really like, that's simply called, and the phrase we're using is, is spiritual formation. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that called it sanctification, whatever that is. It's the same word. Spiritual formation, something is changing inside of me and it's being reformed spiritually. And it's gonna take my whole life, but I'm gonna get to know Jesus. I wanna know the real Jesus. And again, that that is a journey. And here's what's gonna happen, spiritual formation, right? Again, if you're new around here, you're gonna hear this a lot, but as we get to know Jesus, if we have the courage, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at that part of our life and and we're gonna kinda, kinda, identify and and maybe replace these ideas and beliefs and definitions and thoughts that we've been holding on to and replace them. Now let me say this, there's a reason we hold on to the belief system we hold on to. Like when I say God, something comes to mind for you. It might be right, it might be wrong, but there's a reason that you think that about God or Jesus. When I say, what do you think about the person looking back in the mirror? That didn't come from a vacuum. There's a reason you feel that way about yourself. And you might be right, you might be wrong, whatever that is. Or when I say, what do you think about those kind of people? A bunch of judgment comes up inside of you for a reason. And you might be right and you might be wrong, but you're holding on to them. But as we get to know Jesus more and more and more, here's the goal of this whole thing, is that now I know how Jesus thinks, and I'd actually like to replace these ideas and these thoughts and these definitions with the thoughts and the ideas that filled the mind of Christ. How do you know how he thinks? You gotta get to know him. And that's why we're here week after week after week. We're trying to get to know him. What do you mean? It's like any other important relationship you've ever had in your life. It's happening right now. What what do you mean by that? Knowing someone, like intimately, not like, yeah, I think I know. No, no, knowing them. Knowing someone intimately comes from shared experiences together. And sometimes it takes a long, long time, right? That's happening right now in this room. Some of you are here on a date. Welcome, all right, all right? And what you're doing is like, I'm just trying to get to know her before I sign papers or buy a ring or something like that. Some of you, you know, yeah, I, I spent some time getting to know him and I ran the other direction. Why? Because I know who he is and he's horrible, right? Some of you, that you got married because you spent enough time together and, and you said, let's do this for the rest of our life. Some of you got divorced because you thought you knew them. Turns out you were wrong, Right? But we shared some experiences, good ones and bad ones, happy ones and sad ones. You know, that makes sense and that makes no sense at all. But I did it with you together. And here's the thing. Now watch all the old married couples here. They're going to look at each other and go, mm-hmm, that's right, dear. All right, right, right? It's going to happen, right? So after you spend enough time together, you just know. You know what they're thinking. You walk in the house and you go, I got it. Right? They don't, you don't have to be told what to do. You don't have to be asked what to do. Yeah, you'll, you'll do something. They'll go, how would you know to do that? Because I've been married to you for 37 years. I figured a little bit out. Not all of it. Because <laughs> you're a woman. I just can't. Right? But anyway, <laughs> that's, not, that's not sexist. That's, it's, it's not sexist if it's true. I'm trying my best. <laughs> Email Zach on that. I don't, I don't care. Right? I'm, right? After time, you can complete each other's thoughts. Right? And sentences. You don't, again, you don't have to be asked or told. And if you have to keep on being asked and told to do everything, finally you're going to look at each other and go, are you not paying attention? 
I, I, thought, I thought we knew what was going on here, all right? And so just like Robin and I, you know, we're still in that process of getting to know each other imperfectly, but we're trying still, all right? But I want the same thing with Jesus. What do you mean? I, I want to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus. Why? So that we can begin to think like Jesus, have his thoughts. Why do we want to think like Jesus? So that we can see things and people and God, whatever, like, like Jesus. And it, you know what? If I start thinking like Jesus and then see everything like Jesus, maybe, and I'll use Jesus' words, the overflow of that coming out of me will be more like Jesus. Not because I'm trying to act like Jesus, not because I'm trying to act better or be a better person, but simply because something inside of me is different. I'm not trying to act different. I am different. What do you mean? He changed me. And Jesus says this, that, 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 is, that this now available to anybody who wants the kingdom of God, listen to this, all right? That is the definition of the gospel. That's the good news. He said, I came to deliver good news. What? And most of us say he died on a cross. We put our faith in what he did, and our sins are taken away. That's true. Why? Because those sins kept you out of the kingdom. And the good news is I have taken everything out of the way, including your sin and your condemnation. You are forgiven, and now you can step into my kingdom. How do I step into your kingdom? By faith. How much faith does it take? I don't know. Apparently just a little bit. As much as you have currently, you can put your life in there. He is the door. We looked at this last week. He's a narrow gate, but he's opened it wide. He's paid for every obstacle that would keep someone like us out of the kingdom and not able to come in. And that's the goal of this series. That's the goal of uh, this journey. It's the goal of everything that came out of Jesus' mouth. It was some version of this. Just watch. Just watch me. Follow me, listen to me, and eventually you'll begin to think like me and you'll see things like me. And then if enough of me gets inside of you, this is gonna, we're gonna look at this in a few weeks. He says this, after a while in the kingdom, what you've seen me do, you'll do greater things than you've seen me do. Oh, what's that mean? Because it freaks me out. Wait, because I read the Bible several times, all right? And here's what I found. Jesus does some amazing things. I'm like, how do you do that? And then Jesus goes, Jim, eventually you'll be able to do greater things than that. Two, two responses to that. Um, wouldn't that be great? And oh my gosh, run. <laughs> Jim can move mountains. I know, it's a scary thought, right, right? But now, now here's the thing. Different responses come up for us. And I, and I just watched it in this room. A bunch of people nodded their heads, all right? Some of us are going, wouldn't that be great? That's great. Amen. Praise the Lord. Here's what the rest of us, most of us are thinking. I, that would be great if it really was true. And some of us, honestly, we're going, and I bet it is true for, ready, some people. And by some people, you mean not you. Wouldn't it be great if, if what Jim was talking about, that we can begin to think about and see things and begin to actually you know, become like more and more and more like Jesus. I'm sure that is true for some people, but I bet they are more qualified than me and more spiritual than me and more worthy than me and, and better than me but it's probably not true for me. So I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm gonna speak for Jesus, which is a risky thing to do, but I think I'm okay. If you're sitting here coming up with a list of all the reasons why God would not want you in his, in his kingdom, you're wrong. Now when I say you're wrong, I'm not saying you're bad. Being wrong and being bad are two different things. When you're wrong, all Jesus is saying is this, you're just holding on or, to, or you're believing something that's just not true, and it didn't come from, from Jesus. I don't know where it came from. Maybe you grew up in some whacked out religion that shoved some bad version of Jesus down your throat, and they were wrong. You might wanna rethink that. Or, or how about this? This is, this, is, this is where I have lived most of my life. I, I have some thoughts, and I have some assumptions, and I've come to some conclusions and I've just thrown him at Jesus, and I thought, yeah, I bet he's the same. 
I, I wouldn't give me a second chance. Why would Jesus? I wouldn't put up with all my stuff. Why would Jesus? I don't, I don't like people like that. Why would, why would Jesus? And so please hear this, all right? There are messages going on in our head. And the message that you're listening to, if it sounds anything like you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not qualified enough, and you're not included on the list of people that Jesus has chosen to bring into his kingdom, it's not from him. It's not from him. And I'll show you. Like, so, so last week, if you were here, unless you had to go out of town for Labor Day, that's okay. I'm not bitter. Anyway, uh, if you were here last week, I taught you a Hebrew word. Do you remember what it was? Anawim, Anawim, okay? And Anawim is this Hebrew word back in Jesus' day, and it was a, it was a name of an entire category of people call, called the, the throwaway people, the throwaway people. And that was uh, people that, that were walking around that part of Israel. They were, they, they, the world looked at them and, and said, you're disqualified. You're not good enough. You have messy lives. You've committed certain sins. You've made mistakes. Your life is, is painful. And it's probably because you brought it on yourself or, you brought, uh, or somebody else brought it on you. Either way, you're a throwaway person. Now, this is why the world has not changed much. It's about the same world, okay? Back then, religion taught, and a lot of, we've been to this church before, Religion still teaches this. And a lot of people back then believed, and a lot of people listen to my voice right now, we are stuck here right now. But here's the belief system. It goes like this. If, if, if you're having a bad life, it's because you're bad. Some of us believe this. The reason my life is bad is because I'm bad and I've done bad things. And so because I'm bad, God looks at me and goes, I can't use bad people. I have no use for bad people. So I don't really love bad people. Therefore, your life is bad. If you don't want a bad life, be good. And our response is, I've tried. Now, now here's the other thing, all right? There's a, there's the, the other part of it goes like this. If you have a good life, what do you mean? You have a good income, and you have a good marriage, and you have a good family, and you're good looking, and you're good, shut up. All right, all right. So, so everything in your life is just good, all right? Here's why your life is good. Because you're good, and God must be good with you. Why else would you be? And here's the word that's so just thrown around in the wrong ways. That must be why your life is so blessed. I mean, look at your house. You robbed a bank. That's not God's blessing, okay? You ripped off a bunch of people. But, but we just go, oh, no, no. They're just so blessed. So let's look at that, these, these, this world that's, that's, that Jesus is going to give this talk in. All right, in the chapter right before the Sermon on the Mount starts, so Matthew chapter 4, and there are free Bibles in the back of all of our auditoriums, but it's dark in here, and the font is just like you have to have eagle eyes or be under 20 to, to read it, okay? So, so, so uh, in chapter 4, Right before Jesus delivers this famous Sermon on the Mount, he talks to some people, okay? And here's what, here's what he's doing. Matthew chapter 4. And, and he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee. That, so Israel's divided into thirds, and Galilee's like the top third. So uh, he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the, what's that word? The gospel. That's what we're talking about. What is the gospel? What is the good news? That the kingdom of God that wasn't available to people like us is now available because times are changing, right? And so he's delivering this message, and then he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, still there today, and they brought him all the, and here comes a list of people that they just put in a category called Anawim. The reason that they have this going on in their life is they must have done something bad. What do you mean? That's why they're sick. That's why they're afflicted with various diseases. That's why their life has pain. So that, that, that's why they're oppressed by demons. Why else would this be going on in their life? Um, they're, they're having seizures. The parts of their body are paralyzed. Here's what Jesus responds. He healed them and, 
I love this. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, that's the northern part of Israel, and the Decapolis, that's a, a big region that has 10 different cities in it, and from Jerusalem, that's the capital of Israel, and from Judea, that's the southern part of Israel, and from far beyond the Jordan, that's the entire Middle East. So great crowds followed him. Why? The same reason you'd show up. I would go to that Jesus show, wouldn't you? If, he was at, listen, if Jesus was at the Pepsi Center tonight, you'd skip the Bronco game. No, I wouldn't. Listen, if Jesus is down there and he's like healing people and bringing people back to life and sticking arms and heads back on or something like that, dude, I am buying a ticket. I want to see that. I really want to see that. The person had demons in them and they were great. They were like taking their kids out for dinner. It was just nuts, all right? So, so why were these crowds showing up? Here's why. Because for the first time, people who are rejected, unimportant, disqualified, people that had no shot, no voice, no champion, were being given, you ready for this? Write this down. Hope. Hope is the thing that keeps us alive, isn't it? And the worst word is hopeless. And yesterday was hopeless, and then I met Jesus. And this Jesus guy's announcing that with just a little bit of faith, not huge like religious faith, not like mountains of faith, there's just a little bit of faith. It's now possible for anybody to be a part of the kingdom, his kingdom, and experience healing in all the broken parts of your life, forgiveness for everything you've ever done, and he can change you, not after you die, this life. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're, if you're old, smart, and rich. How about this? It doesn't matter if you're young, dumb, and broke. Jesus says, I want you in my kingdom. What kind of kingdom? I want you to join my kingdom. It's going to shake the world like thunder. So we have to pay attention to the world we live in. We have culture they're asking really good questions about life. Like, why don't I have a voice? Or why, why am I not considered important? And, and, and how, do I, how do I get ahead in life and stuff like that? Those are really good questions. The problem is they're coming up with all the wrong answers because the answers to all the questions can only be found in Jesus. And so bring your culture in here. Bring your world in here. Jesus is a big boy. He can answer your questions, right? So that's why we do what we do. Now, here's why I say that because because as we look at this Sermon on the Mount, it's really, really important to remember this phrase. Again, take a picture of this. This is how we take, take notes. And I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. And you open the Bible and hear anything that Jesus has to say, this is the phrase. Context is king. Culture is king. And here's what I mean by that. All truth, if it really is true, is timeless. If it was true a 1,000 years ago, it's still true today. It has to be, or it wasn't true then either, right? Now, here's why I say that. Even though that's true, it's really, really important to ask important questions about what was going on, questions like, like this. And again, write this down or take a picture because this is important anytime you read you know, anything about Jesus. Like, like, what was the world like when this happened? We're going to look at Jesus out on the side of the mountain. What was his world like? Was it like Colorado? Was it like America? Was it different? Was it the same? What, what happened in, in the world? Or how about more specifically, like what was going on or what had just happened? So Jesus sits down on a mountain. What happened five minutes ago? Because that's important. What happens five minutes after he wraps this thing up? You know, what happened yesterday or the week before? And how does that tie into what Jesus is saying right now? Followed by this. And who is it that Jesus is actually talking to? Is he talking to all people for all time? Or is he just talking to that lady one day? And does it apply to us or is that just an isolated, whatever that is, okay. So, so we've answered some of those questions already. Like, like the, the world, what was going on in the world? What was the world like? The world was divided between the haves and the 
The have-nots, okay? The haves were the good people. The people had good lives and good money and good looks and good health and good whatever that is. And then the have-nots were all those people that had really hard lives and were sick and their bodies were broken and their relationships were broken and things weren't going well. Those were the have-nots. So the question is, on that day on the side of the hill, based on what we just read in chapter four, Jesus was surrounded by the have-nots. That's really, really important, okay? Because out there on the hill, he was surrounded by all the have-nots. So why were they there? Because they had just experienced a touch of the kingdom of heaven is right here with us. They, they, they didn't know what just hit them. In chapter 4, they couldn't walk. They had demonic problems, all right? They're, 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 they were sick. They were in pain. Their, their lives were a mess. And they didn't have Jesus figured out, and they weren't sure what was going on or who Jesus really was. Here's all they knew. This is their scope of their theology. This is their belief about God. I don't know. Here's what I know. Yesterday I was sick, and today I'm not, and he, it, it's because of him. I just want to find out more about him. That's it. All right, um, uh, I, yesterday um, this part of my life was broken, and today it's not as broken. Yesterday um, I was a throwaway person. Nobody even knew my name. And then Jesus stopped and called me out by name and spoke to me. And I just want to find out more about him and when Jesus pays attention to throwaway people, you know what happens? Great crowds of throwaway people follow him. That's why we're here, right? So that's how chapter four starts. So Sermon on the Mount starts like this, Matthew chapter five. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd, crowd made up of who? Chapter four people, right, right? The throwaway people, um, um, the, I don't have it figured out, all right? So when he, when he saw the crowd, he went up on a hill and he sat down and his disciples, you mean like the, like the really deep Christians? No, they've been following him about, I don't know, a day. I got like 12 hours under my belt. I'm a follower. That's it. I don't, I don't have the whole God thing figured out. All I know is I want to find out more about him. So I'm following him down the road, all right? So his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He began to teach them. Now again, let's go context and culture, all right? Don't throw church at Jesus. He will throw it back, all right? Here's what I mean. Like Jesus didn't go up on that hill and have a little podium, all right, there, and a manuscript. Like, Today I'd like to, to give you three points and a sad song about a dead dog, all right? And then we'll have an invitation and an offering. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Um, he didn't have a manuscript. He didn't have a teleprompter. He didn't have that. They weren't invented yet. All right, but anyway, um, what Jesus did anytime he taught, he just looked around and saw who was there, the context of who and what was around him. And that day, the people who were around him five minutes ago and yesterday, they were Anawim. They were sick. They're broken, addicted, paralyzed, demonic problems. I mean, really, really, really dark things. And they were suffering in their circumstances. And yesterday, they had no hope that their life would change, could change, or even ought to change. And as Jesus begins to teach them what's now possible for them, here's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, can I have your attention? This happened to a lot of us the first time we went to church. Um, can I tell you uh, how bad you are? Anybody come to church for that? Could I give you a, a list of all the things you're doing wrong in your life? And let me just, let me give you a whole bunch more rules and regulations to pile on top of, uh, of your life that you have to start doing or you'll burn in hell. He doesn't do that. He starts with, I love this, he's so smart. He starts with a list of people that he would like to personally invite. I would like to include you in my in my kingdom, and, and he had better lead with that because in that crowd, they're gonna give him about two minutes and then they're gonna tap out and bolt and go, it's another one. 
It's another religious leader who tells me, here's the good people and here's the list of all the things I have to do and I will never be on that list because I cannot be that good. I have tried before. I know who I am. I'm an auto wing. And then Jesus just blows up the religious world with the first word out of his mouth, which is this, blessed. Blessed. Now let me unpack that, okay? Because the Bible's been written in several languages going all the way back to Jesus said it in Aramaic. And then the first time it was really written down, it was in Greek, all right? And then it became Latin, and then it's English. And it gets worse the closer you get to us, all right? And so, so here, here's what's going on. The, the word uh, blessed comes from the Latin word happy. That really doesn't do it for me. It's not wrong, but happy are those who mourn. Mm. You've been to a different funeral than me. That's all I'm saying, okay? And we'll look at that next week. So happy, I, I don't know. So that's the Latin word. Go back another version, the Greek word. This is the closest we get to Jesus' actual words. And the Greek word there is makarios. Makarios. Last week we learned anawim. Now you're learning Greek. Makarios. Everybody say it. One, two, three. Makarios. See, you're Bible scholars, all right? And, and here's the thing. When all those Jewish people out there in that field that day heard Jesus start his talk with makarios, here, here's what they heard. You mean the highest type of well-being possible for human beings? You said makarios. That's what it means, right? And here, here's, let's just bring it into our world. I want you to picture the best person living the best possible life you, you can imagine. And that's makarios. I mean, the life I want to live, I'd be this kind of person, awesome, and I would have this kind of life, makarios. So you're, 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 you're going to open with makarios is possible for people like us? Yeah. Now, now, the Greek people, because, so this is really, really important, because on, on, on one side, uh, like to the east, is Athens, and on the other side, to, to the west, is Rome, and right in the middle is Jerusalem, and to get, get through them, you have to, to get to one of the other, you have to go through there. Jerusalem is a hotbed of education. It's not a bunch of hicks in the middle of nowhere taking care of sheep which is what we throw at the Bible, right? This is like an intellectual spot of the world. And a bunch of people from Greece are there, and they hear Jesus say makarios, and they had to wrinkle up their foreheads and say, well, you mean that blissful state of life enjoyed only by the gods in our literature? You're talking about a, a Zeus-like life? Apollos-type life? A Hercules-type life? You're saying you're going to open with our word? Makarios? Yeah. Yeah, now stay tuned, all right? Listen, so when you see the word beatitude or blessed, what Jesus is referring to is what happens or what can happen when the hand of God reaches into our mess, right? Our, list, our, our hope, list of hopeless causes and says, listen, I can change that into a new condition of life made possible by taking that part of your life as jacked up as it is and bringing it and living it with, with God. And so with the word makarios, blessed, Jesus is saying this, and this is the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount. It is now possible, it didn't used to be, but I'm here and times are changing. It's now possible for you to live the kind of life that is reserved only for those who live in the immediate, eternal presence of and connection to God. It didn't used to be, but I'm here and now it's possible. It is the most pervasive theme of the entire Bible. What do you mean? Jesus reaching into our mess and transforming onawims like us, people without hope, and saying, I, I want to give you something new. Later, a guy named Paul says, like a new creation. You can be new. Later, we're going to look at this next week. Jesus says, you can actually become a son of God, a daughter of God, a, chi a child of God. And you can take your life and live your life as God's child in his kingdom, where what God wants done is done in the part of your life as it is in the heavens. Wouldn't that be great? 
Remember, it's Jesus' number one message. I've removed every obstacle, sin, condemnation. I've taken it all away so that you can experience a Macario's kind of life. Bring your current life into my kingdom and start living it with me, and you'll become a different kind of person who lives a different kind of life. So bring your current life. Bring your current life. And then I think he looks around, and he sees the current lives of the people around him, and he says, here's what I'm talking about. So he says this, opening line, Makarios, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Meaning, Makarios, blessedness is possible even if you're poor in spirit, as long as you take that poor in spirit and put it in the kingdom of the heavens. On your own, not so much. And here's what this, here's what this does not mean. And this is really important that I tell you this, because I have been taught this all my life, and I've even taught it this way, and I think I've been wrong. First time ever, give me a break. All right, so um, here's, here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean, okay, you want to you be blessed by God? Then you have to admit that you're broken and you're not good enough to get into heaven and you have nothing that could ever earn your way into heaven. You have to admit that you're saved by grace through faith. Otherwise, you'll never be blessed. Now, time out. That is true. Never take a breath. I'm not taking that away at, at all. That is certainly true. But I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Why? Because context is king. He's in the middle of a crowd of people who do not need to be convinced they're broken. Oh, I thought I was perfect. No, nobody in that crowd thought they were perfect. Nobody thought they were good enough. They assumed God hated them, right? So he's not talking about, you have to admit it, you're bad, right? No, no, no. So what was really gone and who was Jesus talk, going on? Who was Jesus talking to? The, the Anawim. See, here's what I think, all right? And I... I might be wrong, but I think I'm right. This is really arrogant, but I still think it's right. So here's what I mean by that, all right? I think when Jesus went on the side of that hill and sat down on that rock or that stool or whatever he sat on, and he's putting his thoughts together about what he was gonna talk about, about this whole Makarios, I think he looked around the crowd and the first person that caught his eye, what went through his head was, I bet they wouldn't let you in church. I bet they wouldn't let you come to synagogue or temple or something like that. Not, no, 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 not, not with those tattoos. All right, not with that dress on, not, not with uh, those scars on your arms, not with those three ratty kids, not with those two DUIs and three felonies on your resume. You're not allowed. What do you mean? Anawim's not welcome. I bet you've tried to go to church before and nobody will let you in the door because you're a mess. So I'd like to start with you. Makarios, blessed are um, the spiritual zeros. Bankrupt. You have nothing to offer spiritually. Um, blessed are those who are not religious. Ble- blessed are those who don't know their Bible, right? Ble- blessed, blessed are those, blessed are you, those of you who were convinced that the day you walked into a church, the roof would collapse. And it didn't yet, right? Uh, blessed are you who've been told and you actually believe that you're so bad you don't deserve forgiveness, you don't deserve grace. And you've believed it until today. On the side of this hill, Jesus goes, I would like to start with you. I would like to invite you. I'm gonna invite you to rethink everything because times are changing and I'm inviting you into my kingdom. And even though you just have nothing spiritually going on at all that's good, I would like for you to come into my kingdom where you can experience a Macario's kind of life. Jesus is not teaching, I'll bless you as long as you admit that you're broken and a spiritual zero. No, no, no. What he's saying is, I know you're spiritually broken. 
I would like to bring you into my kingdom. I know that you couldn't, you couldn't pass the, 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 the background check to, to park cars at Flatirons, and we have very low standards. I know you're a mess. I still want you. See, Jesus is saying this to those people on the hill, and he's saying to us at Flatirons right now, listen, I know you're imperfect. There's nothing we've done or will do that's going to blow God's mind. He's going to go, well, I did not see that coming. I had no idea you thought things like that. I mean, you're just dark. I mean, no, no, no. What Jesus is going to say is, I know. I know you're not perfect, but this is a journey, and you have to start somewhere. So how about today you take one step into my kingdom? It's yours if you want to come in as you are, not after you clean up your life, not after you pull your marriage together, not after you're not depressed anymore, not after you're not addicted anymore. Come as you are right now. Right now, see, see, once, once, listen, once you're in, Broncos, Broncos, or, uh, um. <laughs> see, once you're in, then, and I'm going to say this, only then can real change actually occur. Otherwise, it already would have happened. You would have already fixed that. You already healed that. You've already gotten over that. You would have already, you know, done the right thing. And, and, and on our own, outside, listen, it's just more guilt and shame. I'm, I, true confession, I am done with guilt and shame. It's just too heavy. I feel like my life has been capped with fear, shame, and insecurity my whole life, and I'm done with it. So you don't have to carry it anymore, but if you choose to, do not say it's because God is barring the door and you're, you're not allowed into his kingdom. That's on you, not him. He's saying, I've opened the kingdom wide. I'm the narrow gate, and I've opened up wide, and I'm talking to you. You can come in with all your junk and bring it in here. It's time to rethink everything, right? You can clap for that. Jesus, that's a good thing, right? It's right, it, it, it is right, it, it's right there in front of you. So you want to rethink everything. Now, Jesus says this, blessed are the bankrupt in spirit, right? I want, here's what I want to do next. I want to jump over to a different talk really, really, really quick and look at another thing that Jesus says about blessed are, are the poor. It's, it's a different talk, but it's the same thing. And there's a reason I'm saying this. Luke chapter 6, it says, and Jesus lifted up his eyes to his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are, and what's the word? poor, okay? Why? Because yours is the kingdom of God. And this time he's not talking about you're your spiritually bankrupt. What he's saying is you're poor. You have no money. Oh, you're broke. You're, you're, you're broke, all right? He's actually talking about your finances. And let's be honest, the reason that when we sit down at the dining room table and go, I can't pay my bills, and our first response is, God, why aren't you taking care of me, is we think somehow our poverty is because God doesn't love us. Because the people down the street, they're bad people, and they have more than enough money, so I'm on God's side. Why doesn't he bless me? And so Jesus is going to correct a false assumption, and it goes like this, all right? So if you think you're poor, all right, this is what Jesus is saying to you. There's no one who has sunk too low or in a poor financial situation that is beyond the reach of God. Some of you are going, I just don't believe that. I have so many bills and so many creditors and so many people coming after me. Even God himself couldn't help my situation. Well, you're wrong. What do you mean? You're holding on to wrong information. It's just not true. Now, okay, so that was a little intrusive. It gets so much worse. Look at this. A few verses down, Jesus says this. He says, but woe to you. Woe means watch out, be careful. Who, woe to you who are what? Rich. And just time out. What, what do you mean rich, Jesus? This is Jesus' definition of rich. You have enough money for food, shelter, and clothing, and a little bit left over. That's rich. 
Now, now, Americans, we don't say that. You're not rich unless you have 14 cars in the driveway and you're sending your kids to 12 baseball camps and you have an X thousand foot square house. Otherwise, my life is hard. No, no, it's not. Jesus' definition of riches, you have food, shelter, and clothing, and a little bit left over, okay? So, woe to you. Be careful, rich people, because you have received your consolation. You have your prize. Woe to you who are full now. Why? Because you shall be hungry. Now, time out, all right? Don't walk out. Listen, Jesus is not saying it's a sin to be rich. And if you really love Jesus, you give all your money to the poor. He doesn't say that. How can you drive that car and call yourself a Christian? It's not in the Bible. Take a breath, all right? Stop throwing stones. What he is saying is this. You are, you are in a very dangerous position. What, what is that position? Let me ask a question. Who and what are you depending on to take care of you when a storm hits the most important parts of your life? That's in your face. We're going to look at it in a few weeks. Is it God or money? Because Jesus is going to say you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot depend on. You'll love the one and hate the other. You, but this is, this is a tug-of-war thing that you will not win. Choose. Who are you going to put your faith in? See, Jesus knows this, okay? And this is really important. Money isn't good or bad. Money is neutral. You can do good things with money, you can do bad. This isn't even a money talk. It's just free, all right? <laughs> money, money's not good or bad. You can do good things with money, you can do bad things with money. But if you were to ask money where do you want to go, it has no answer. I don't know, just point me somewhere. That's money's position, all right? You choose where your money goes. Here's the point of that. Jesus knows that his biggest competition for your faith, what's gonna take care of you when life gets really hard, his biggest competition is not Satan. Very few of us went, I had a really bad day and Jesus, you're not taking care of me. Satan, will you? No, that's not what we do. What we do is going, yeah, I don't know if Jesus is gonna show up today, but at least I have a big pile of money, Right? See, Jesus knows that, but Jesus also knows this, is that no matter how much money you have in your biggest time of need, money cannot deliver makarios. It can't. A blessed with God kind of life. So what Jesus is saying to the poor is this, don't think that your lack of money somehow indicates God won't take care of you. Not true. I have sunk so low, even God. No, 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 that's not true. How about this? He says this to the rich. Don't think that just because you have a big pile of money, you have a great position at work, or you have the best education available, don't, don't, don't jump into something that you don't need God. Because money and a title and a degree cannot guarantee a good marriage, a good family, that your kids love you, that you won't get cancer, and that everybody will make it home every night, as long as you have enough money. Ready? It's not true. Said every rich person ever looking in the rearview mirror. But all of us look ahead going, boy, if I just had money... I would, I would be different. I'd trust you, Jesus, if you just give me a million dollars, right? Listen, that's not how it works. Be careful, right? You're not beyond it, and, you, and you're not so rich you don't need it. See, rich or poor, I memorized the whole Bible. I can't find Genesis 1 without the table of contents. <laughs> Listen, all right? Living your life in the kingdom of God. I want to say this, and I'm going to wrap this up. Living your life in the kingdom of God, no matter who you are, rich or poor, is no guarantee that your life won't have storms. There is no verse in the Bible that says, if you follow me, I'll put a Jesus bubble around you and nothing bad will happen to you. No. Remember this? In this world, you will have trouble, said Jesus, and then they nailed him to a cross. So he knows what he's talking about. Remember this? How about this? I'm going to leave you with this. Jesus doesn't promise anyone a storm-free life. Jesus promised you a storm-proof life. The storms are going to come. I just am tired of falling down. And in the kingdom, 
I'm gonna be okay. Now, I'm gonna stop right there and pick this up. Now, I have some questions for you, and here's why I say that, is that in our groups every week, and several thousand of you join groups, um, you, these are the questions that we're gonna unpack, all right? And if, if you're not in a group, how about this? Get online, and starting this afternoon, these questions will actually be there, and maybe you're dating someone, or you're married to someone, or tonight at dinner, you can sit around the table, and you can unpack these questions together, and you can kind of answer this. But here's my questions I want to leave you with, all right? If Jesus promises that a Makarios blessed kind of life is available to anybody who's willing to take that part of their life and put it inside the kingdom of God, here's my first question. Why wouldn't you do that? That's a fair question. Whatever you're thinking about for the last 35 minutes or so, this is what I've been thinking about. What would keep you from bringing that part of your life, poor or rich, know a lot about Jesus, don't know anything at all about Jesus, what would keep you from bringing that into his kingdom? Right? He's not talking about what you should do something different with your money. He's not talking about that. He's talking about your, your, your heart, okay? So here, here's a question, all right? What are you afraid of? You're, you're thinking about something. I am. What, what are you thinking, what are you afraid of if you were to bring this part of your life into the kingdom, all right? What, what might happen if you actually said what Jesus is, it says is true and put it into practice in that part of your life? Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at this whole dilemma thing, like what's at risk, all right? What's at risk if you take that part of your life and put it in the kingdom? I'm gonna do it Jesus' way. What might happen? And here's an even scarier question. What's at risk if you don't? And here's the answer, probably not much today. But if that part of your life keeps going the way it's going, outside of what God says is right and true, play it out a week or a month. And you think about your thing, right, right? A year from now, play it out. Five years from now, if it keeps going the way it's going, does that look anything like Makarios? And are you okay with it? And if not, what needs to change in you? And the answer is, it starts with me taking and putting that in the kingdom of God. Right, now that, I'm done, all right? We're gonna get out of here for kickoff, all right? So there is no closing songs. They blew it out, they have nothing left, okay? So that's it. So at all of our campuses, all right, here's, I want us to all stand up together. I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, go get your kids, go get a hamburger and grill and cheer God's favorite team on. All right, there, there, uh, I said it, I said it. <laughs> Which is not Seahawks. God doesn't even like Seahawks. It's in the Bible, you don't know. I'm kidding. Lord, I'm sorry for that. Um, so God, right now, uh, just trying to break the tension because a lot of us are having conversations with you, arguments with you about, I, I can't do that. I cannot take this part of my life and, and give it to you, God, because I, I'm, I'm afraid I know what would happen. And, and I'm not ready to let go of it, or I don't I think it's possible. And so God, you don't ask us or tell us to figure everything out. All you ask is just walk with you and follow you and learn from you and have a little bit of faith as much as we have today and take a step in your direction with this part of our life. And you say it can move towards Makarios, all made possible because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks.